um, find what where you where you can bring value, something that you enjoy because you're gonna have to do lots of things you don't enjoy. <laughs> find where your strengths are, and something that's monetizable. Get all them together and find what's in the middle. Mm. There'll be something in there for you that you can do that will bring value to the world or get you paid or be something you enjoy and you'll be something you'll be good at. And in that nexus point, that's what you want to do. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has grown several startups to seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great guest on the episode, Lee Chamber, or Chambers with an S. And... uh, Lee came from what would be a a blue collar family, had both parents, worked very hard, um, taught him to work hard. Um, He was relatively smart in school and then he went off to study business and I think it was psychology. And then after graduation, he landed a job, economy crashed or or graduated 2007, economy crashed, lost or job went away and then he decided to get into wholesale video game sales and uh, did that for a period of time, grew it to a larger business and then uh, decided to switch up what he did, and I'll summarize it to bring him to where he's at today, where he now does workplace well-being, well-being training. Is that a quick but accurate summary? Yeah, lovely and concise, sir. That's my journey. <laughs> All right. So with that, now we'll dive a bit more into the journey. So I gave the high level a very quick overview, but maybe if you want to now rewind and walk us through a bit more of your journey and how you got to where you're at today, we'll go from there. Yeah, so again... Blue collar, blue collar upbringing in the north of England. And I was always that curious child, that one who was trying to convince my mum to sell her stuff on the end, on the end of the street. Um, I masqueraded as, a, as an 18-year-old, as a 12-year-old, so I could sell Amiga games through magazine mail order. And I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak. I was trying to sell candy at school um, that, I'd, that I'd buy at reduced price and then bring it in and sell it at an inflated price take the margin but the the head teacher stopped me because apparently i was breaking hygiene laws <laughs> so I, I was i was i was that kind of curious and disruptive youth but I, I was good in education i managed to be the first one in my whole family to go to university and studying business and psychology it was it was good because there was a wide range of skills that i learned from communications and language to geopolitics and really wide and varied because I didn't know what I wanted to do and a university did have so, some challenges. So how long, sorry, sorry just to jump back slightly, so how long were, did you sell the candy in school before you got caught? Oh uh, two months, two months. Oh, I probably made about four hundred dollars. So how did, how did you finally get caught? Um, well the problem is you need to transport it into school and they started to see me with uh, a big rucksack with me books and a massive rucksack full of stock. <laughs> and eventually, the school, eventually school they lockers... Eventually wonder why you were bringing such big bags of stuff to school. Yeah, because the school lockers only held so much. Oh. And then I was wheeling it out at dinner, <laughs> selling it. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, for two months, uh, it's a, a younger kid in school. That's not a bad, uh, not a bad profit. So. Hey, no, I, I learned a number of entrepreneurial lessons from making margins to marketing to, you know, to upselling. 
I learned a lot of stuff doing that for a few months. Hey, well, that's awesome. Um, well, anyway, so continue on with your journey. Didn't mean to interrupt. That's just a funny story. So I, I thought it was a warrant a, a follow-up question. Yeah, and I, I got into the middle of my degree and just started to struggle a little bit with our adolescent-adult transition. Um, just found that I was struggling to really find who I was as a man. That took me on a bit of a journey where I struggled with my mental health and I ended up going home from university and taking a bit of time to rebuild myself back up. I then went back and graduated, which, as you said, was in 2007. And I managed to get on a quite prestigious graduate scheme at a national bank um, doing financial advisory, which mm. for me, it combined two things that I really love, data, statistics, and numbers, and helping people. Mm. But again, six months in, they'd offered me $12,000 professional training. And all of a sudden, overnight, that got pulled. Mm. And I'm not affluent. I've not got rich parents. <laughs> I had to work on my way for education. So that was a bit of a blow. But looking around at my colleagues, clearing their desks, made me realize this is, this is much bigger than just me. And while I was at university, I'd written a business plan for a wholesale video game business. Because I've yeah. always been of that mindset. But I took it to an esteemed business advisor here. And he openly said to me, Lee, this is good. This is a good business plan. Your forecasts are watertight. Your figures, are, your figures aren't overinflated. They're realistic. But he said to me, look, you're a young, you're a long, young black lad. You know, you've come across with a burning attitude problem. You've not, you've not got any of that industrial knowledge. Your, your rough edges haven't been shaped yet. You're mm. going to struggle in this industry. It's very quick moving. And it's controlled by people who are going to look at you when you go and pitch to them and think, who's this young kid here? Who's this upstart? <laughs> he's disruptive. He's... So what he said is, maybe consider going into software, going into coding or developing. It's much more diverse. It's much more a young person's game. And you'll find it easier there. So what that did is that made me think, take a step back. It's not said that from a place of hate, but maybe I do need to go out into industry and curve my edges so I'm more of a finished product to go out and build a business. Mm. So that kind of dampened the entrepreneurial spirit. When I got made redundant six months in, all of a sudden it lit up like a fire because I was like, I had to move home back into my parents' house to reduce my overheads. There were no finance jobs out there. So it's like, well, I've got this business plan. I feel it'll work. I honestly believe that if I go all in and use that fuel of being told you can't and use the adversity of this is going to be challenging for you, maybe you can just make this work because at the moment you haven't got much money. You can't get back into the field you expected to go into. So why not do something different? So from my parents' back bedroom, off, it, off the adventure begins. I buy my first batch of stocking with a wage that I've got from working in local government. So that's the only job I can really get at the mm. time. But I know that that one month's wage will pay for my first stop because I don't have any overheads and I can, mm. I can ramp it and accelerate it from there. So the journey began. I bought that and all of a sudden it moves very, very quickly. Such a dynamic market. When people want a game, they go and get a game. Mm. And because it, it moves so quickly, I found myself being able to accelerate what was a bedroom startup with $2,000 worth of stock into a six-figure business in seven months. It just went like a train. And all of a sudden, 
Mm. Boom. I'm, I've got my parents' house filled with stock and them saying, get out. <laughs> You're doing our heading. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're filling up our whole house with stock. You make enough money. Go back out on your own. So, so as you did, so you said, and, and remind me if I'm wrong, you said on that, that business plan, you came up with it while you were in school and then you circled back to it. Is that right? Yeah. So one question I have, because it sounds like, you know, you grew it over set, you know, six, seven months to grow up to a six figure business is, is a great accomplishment and certainly kudos to you. And so what was the reason why you didn't just coming out of school, just jump to that business directly with a, Hey, I didn't have the startup cash or it was a traditional, everybody tells me I need to go get a job like everybody else. And so I'd go do that. Or you were, you were excited about the opportunity as far as you lined up for graduation and just didn't work out or what was the reason why you just didn't jump to that startup originally? Oh, it, it was a whole mix of those things, Devin. So it was a little bit of me thinking, oh, my parents have never took this jump. A little bit of, hmm, they've said I can't do it and maybe they might be right. And a little bit of the old, well, I actually think that I will like financial advisory and I know I can build a, build a career that can then fuel me in later life. Mm. And lots of those little ideas of almost limiting beliefs that you kind of get throughout your existence as you grow up. I've always been that curious, disruptive, entrepreneurial type, but it was almost slightly uh, burned out of me as Mm. I went through that educational system, which doesn't prepare you to go and set up in business. It prepares you to go and sit in a job. And by the time I'd finished education and been through those challenges, it actually been dampened a little bit and it mm. took that feeling of desperation, that feeling of you're at home, stuck with your parents again, you've got nothing to lose. <laughs> Maybe it's time to go all in and just do it. And that's what I did. No, and I think even, you know, I think it's a good point, but you know, and, and one thing you often, education is always preparing you not to go out and you know, not to do a startup, but to be a, a good or a good candidate or a good employee for someone else. And yet, you know, and the myth is, is that, hey, you go work for a big company, they're going to be stable, right? Which is always the thing. And yet, you know, I would say as many times as any, the big companies aren't any more stable than the small companies. And usually the first one ends or first ones, first ones in or the first ones out. And so that's, you know, the appearance of stability. Whereas if you do your own startup, you do your own business, you can make your own path such that you can have a lot more direction as to whether or not it's stable or not stable, you know what's going on and you can actually figure out your own way. So I think that that, you know, I, I'm in complete agreement that, you know, education does well to give you the skills, but not necessarily teach you career paths or startup or small business or what or whatnot. So. Yeah. And I think the kind of, as a parting thing on that, what happened is when I got made redundant, I sat there and reflected and said, you know what? I want to build something where the only person who can make me redundant is me. Mm. And if it fails, I'll be able to learn something because I've been pivotal on that journey. And I wanted something where, you know what? I can fire myself if I want. I can take myself out of the business if I want. I can make myself redundant if I want. But (laughs) please give me something where the economic wins can come and I can actually control where this goes. Mm. No, I I think I can... I completely agree. And so I said, and, and but I, I tend to agree with you as well. I came out even a law school and they said, I do a few different things. And I didn't come out uh, with the startup that I started that did go, that I did while I was in MBA school that grew into, you know, multi million dollar company. But at the same time, 
it was, it was kind of, hey, I need to go find a stable job or go work for the big law firm, which I did for a few years period of time before I finally said, hey, enough's enough. I want to make my own leap. I think I can do this. I can do it better than others. And I'm going to be or take that direction. So so now as you built, you know, first year of the company, you did that um, wholesale, got it up to a six figure business, moved out of your parents' house, back out on your own. Then what or what was the next part of your journey? Yeah, so I just kept ultimately replicating what I was doing because it's such a quick moving industry and I was quite tunnel visioned. So I was really determined to prove those people wrong. (laughs) So suddenly in year two, revenue doubles and in year three, revenue doubles. And all of a sudden, this new house that I've bought is literally a warehouse. There's Mm. barely room for me to sleep. And I'm just so, so focused on making this work that what actually happens is I start to not see the bigger picture Mm. so I've suddenly got it up to $800,000 revenue and it's still just me and a bunch of automations Mm. and what was kind of happening is because it was fueled by that anger by that frustration I was determined that I could do this on my own just me and anything that I can't do I can automate And what started to happen is it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I wasn't growing personally because I was still ingrained in it. And I wasn't taking the time to step out and work on it that I needed to. I was spending too much time in the business, still Mm -hmm. finding ways to automate. And this would have been a perfect time in hindsight to start delegating and doing more of where I brung the value. But it's very easy to say that looking back, because ultimately I was there in that position and I was still fueled by this. I'm going to prove him, prove him wrong. I'm going to show him blue collar background. He's, mm. he's going to make it somehow. He's going to do something significant. And it really got to the point where I still wasn't willing to delegate anything, but I was building more and more processes that I could automate. So all of a sudden I actually started doing less because I was managing to automate so much. I built a series of algorithms that helped me to decide when to move on stock and when not to Hmm. building in previous experiences and different fluctuations and starting to look at the European markets and how they moved as well. And it actually got to a point where I decided that I had enough energy here to start something new. Hmm. So I actually launched a video game merchandise box subscription scheme. Hmm. And that was great. It absolutely took off because I've leveraged early days of social media to get into the places where the people who, you know, ultimately were going to purchase it, where the market was on the forums, on the very early Facebook groups for this kind of thing. And it took off like a rocket. And all of a sudden I was overwhelmed in more ways than one. Mm. But what that actually led to is very quickly, a significantly sized competitor as in a company that's probably 60, 70 times bigger than me, Mm. got wind of it. And I hadn't managed to really protect enough of the property of what I was doing. It was fairly easily replicatable because I wasn't able to afford every license for the merchandise. So some was licensed, some was unlicensed. And obviously I had permission, but I Mm. didn't have the money to pay the licenses. And this company went in and bought up a lot of the licenses and literally out, out advertised me, out 
pushed me, outsold me. And that, if you look at the kind of statistics, it literally set up like a rocket and burnt out and fell back to earth. Mm. So one, one thing I think we talked just a little bit about the, before the pod, or before we uh, jumped onto the, the podcast um, was, you know, as you were building, you know, the six figure, almost the seven figure, I think you said 800,000 plus, doing it all on your own, which, hey, that's kudos to build a business all by yourself to 800,000, 800, almost a million dollar revenue. You know, now I get that's not all profit, but that's, you know, the size of the company, but that's still, you know, kudos to you. But at the same time, you mentioned you lost the ability to walk almost, you got very ill, and it wasn't a sustainable business to work 24-7 all the time, especially just you and by yourself. And then not to mention you had a competitor that comes in that makes it all the worse. So maybe expound a little bit, because, you know, you always hear that, hey, I, I worked really hard and I built this huge business and there was no doubt, there was no downside, nothing, you know, just perfect, you know, storybook kind of a thing. But really, you know, as you mentioned, there are, are there are downsides and there are things you have to account for as you're building a business. So maybe if you wanted to expound on that just a little. Yeah, definitely. So I kind of, I'd had that point where I'd effectively been bullied out of any market share that I had with that. And mm-hmm. actually utilize that and look back and instead of thinking, you know, why me? This is not fair. I just thought, you know what? What can I learn from that? Because it was working until it wasn't. And I kind of took that reflective approach and actually realized that the video game business, I needed to move down the supply chain because looking forward, what was happening, high-speed internet was becoming more prevalent. Digital download was becoming a gradually more impeding force on the physical aspects of games. Mm. And I started to realize, actually, focus on what you've got for the moment build that into something that's more sustainable before you start going off on all these tangents. Because at the moment, you've got one one business and yeah, it's got the foundations, but you're literally, you've dug them yourself. You're not going to be able to build a big house here on your own. You're going to find yourself stood in the sun with a few too many bricks and not enough cement at some point. Um, And that is like when you alluded to, I all of a sudden became unwell. And my immune system attacked the connective tissue of my joints. And over the course of five days, I went from fully mobile, fully independent, running the business uh, and looking after my young family to being stuck in a hospital bed, unable to move, unable to feed myself properly, unable to go to the toilet or shower. And everything changed on that day when I realized, okay, so you've been so stubborn about it you've Mm. been short-sighted you've not seen the bigger picture because now you find yourself still able to run this business with one hand from your hospital bed but it could have been different and what i realized is i was grateful that i had that business because Mm. that business paid for my recovery it gave me the space to recover and relearn to walk And it's ended up paying for me being able to stay with my children. But Mm. it's not all the glamour of entrepreneurialism. It's so much easier for most people to just go and get a job, take your salary, learn what you need to do, navigate a workplace. It's not all this beautiful social media (laughs) (laughs) imagerized. You're an entrepreneur and you're a superhero because it's not, it's hard. And, when adversity comes, you've got to face it. 
because ultimately I had that challenge in that hospital bed to relearn to walk. And that all of a sudden became my focus. The business wasn't that important when my health was in jeopardy. And that was when I started to realize I've built quite a significant network, but almost been blind to the fact that all these people that I've built relationships with, they can help me. In Mm. fact, they're amazing. They bring value. They know the market. They have different skill sets and strengths than me. Why not reach out in my time of need and admit and be vulnerable and say, look, I've been an idiot. I've known you for years. I should have trusted you and I should have taken you on. I should have, you know, offered for you to come in and do something. But I've been a bit blind. I've been, I've not had my glasses on, so to speak. And that became a turning point because then I was able to actually utilize and leverage other people's skills. Mm. And that allowed me to recover. And it took that much of a lesson to learn just Mm. how important it is to look, step back, work on your business and realize where you bring value and where you, what you enjoy, do more of that. Because why was I doing all, yeah, you know what? I'm quite a high performing individual. I'm hopeless at some things, but when it comes to a business, I could do the accounting. I could do the marketing. I could do the sourcing. I could do the sales. But why was I doing all that? It was just to prove a point. Wasn't anything more than my own ego, than my own, you know, telling myself that I could, trying to prove something to myself. I wasn't doing anything that was wise and maybe just maybe me working so hard might have actually attributed to me becoming unwell now Mm. never really been able to directly say that but I spent a good number of years working probably beyond what I should have Mm. and that's a massive lesson if anyone can take anything from this podcast is try to keep your eyes open on the journey try to realize that when you get to a certain point other people will bring more value in almost every area of your business than you will. Just let it go. Don't micromanage it. Let other people start to drive your car for you because you can't drive it forever. <laughs> so now, and I think that's all very good. And I think that, you know, when you look at it, part of what it is, you know, one is when, as you're a startup and, and you have most people and maybe not all, but have kind of that type A personality where, Hey, I can do it all. I can do better than anybody else. And it's, you know, it's that uh, learning to let go of the things that maybe you, you know, I would hold on to the things that you can do the best, that you are best suited to, and letting go of the things that other people can do as well or better than you can. And sometimes I always go, you know, you hear 80-20 rule for a lot of different applications. I always look at it more as if somebody can do a job 80% as well as I can, and I can offload it to them, then it's worthwhile to offload that so I can do the things that other people aren't able to do as well. So as now, as we jump forward, as we fast forward that, you know, bring it up to where you're at today. So you made that adjustment, that pivot, you went through the health, you know, the health issues, you saw the competitors come in. So you decided, Hey, I'm going to now pivot my business to where it is today, which is more of well-being training and well-being trainer um, as we're related to the workplace. So how has that gone and how's that business taken shape? Yeah. So it was, it was quite interesting because obviously when, when you tell people about that significant shift, they're like, Whoa, those industries don't seem related at all. And I suppose what I kind of saw is in my time in tech, I saw how much people struggle with their mental health. 
Mm. I saw how much of a concern it was. And through my own journey, that really ignited a fire in me to think back to being that financial advisor. Why did I want that? I wanted to help people. And I realized that through Phenom Games, the video game business, I wasn't helping anyone. I wasn't mm. making any lasting impact on the world, any legacy. I was just moving some products around. So as crazy as I am, I want to go into the well-being industry. And I look at it again. It's not, uh, it's not a place that where I look like the face of well-being. Mm. Well-being is generally an area, you know, for your 40-year-old white female. They spend the most on well-being. If you look for imagery, you'll generally find them because marketers are clever. They're going to go to where the market purchases, where the people are absorbent and engaged in that. And I was like, okay, maybe this is another industry I can go in and disrupt. So last year I decided I was going to actually launch it. And I've done a number of qualifications over the years. And that, again, had stemmed from losing those qualifications back in the recession. And I've been doing qualifications ever since in nutrition and sleep. I took a master's in psychology and just generally pushed that forward. And if I bring all these together with my genuine desire to help people and the experience of going through my own health issues and mental health issues, then I'm sure I can bind all that and fuse it and deliver it as a service into businesses and coaching business owners to understand that what I've been through, you don't have to. You can become empowered, engaged and enabled earlier to see Look at the wider picture. Understand that your health, mentally, physically, it's your biggest asset. It's bigger than your business. It's bigger than any grudge. And it's bigger than anything that mm. ultimately you can generate through your business. And now I run workshops within organizations looking at the culture, looking at the well-being of the employees, looking at communication, and just looking at how leadership leads the company forward, the values and the purposefulness. And I coach individual entrepreneurs and small business owners to really anchor into the fact that your own personal and professional development are just as important as your business growth. You don't want a massive business and to feel like a tiny person because that mismatch doesn't feel great. And I really now anchor in and help people who've kind of been on a similar journey to myself, hopefully before they hit that really big hit that big boom or that big crisis that really jolts them into realizing and knocking them out of those patterns mm, no i think that that's a a great or great advice to share and to what what people often are needing is they get into the startup and small business culture work 100 hours a week so to speak and looking for how to to keep a healthier lifestyle and a better balance and to avoid some of those pitfalls so well, as we now get towards uh, the wrapping up the, or towards the end of the podcast and always run out of time and never have enough time to talk about everything we could, but we'll jump to the, the couple of uh, questions I always ask at the end of each podcast. So first one is, is what was your worst business decision? Um, it was probably not leveraging, not hiring anyone else. That's mm. my worst business decision, trying to do it all alone. Self-made man. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you can do that up to a point, but then, you know, as you discovered, you reach a point where you, you, you only have so many hours of the day, even if you can have all the t t skill, skills and the talent, you can't do it all by yourself. So whether that's, you know, bringing on a partner, whether it's saying, Hey, I want to keep the equity and then just bringing on employees or it's finding independent contractors, there's a myriad of different ways, but I think that's a good, a good thing to learn. So now second question I always ask, 
to starting or talking to someone that's just getting into startups or small businesses, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, find what where you where you can bring value, something that you enjoy, because you're gonna have to do lots of things you don't enjoy. <laughs> find where your strengths are and something that's monetizable. Get all them together and find what's in the middle. There'll be something in there for you that you can do that'll bring value to the world or get you paid or be something you enjoy and you'll be something you'll be good at. And in that nexus point, that's what you want to do. And if you can do that, execute it and just realize that you need very early to get into that point where you realize that it's not what you want, it's what the market needs and find where your niche, your audience is and start to learn their language. All right. No, I think that's, that's great advice on both on lessons you've learned as far as well as um, what people can do as they get into startup and small business. Well, as people want to reach out to you, they want to learn more about how to do work, you know, workplace well-being. They need a trainer. They need wanting to come into a corporate gig. They want to just uh, connect out or find out more about you or anything or all the above. What's the best way to connect up with you and reach out to you? Uh, the best ways would be through my websites, which are essentialized.co.uk. Spelling will be in the show notes, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And leechambers.org. And all my socials are also both on those websites. All right, perfect. Well, I certainly uh, invite everybody to reach out to you, find out more uh, about how they can find that work-life balance, how they can have a better well-being and a better life. And uh, certainly appreciate you coming onto the podcast. Um, for everybody else that's uh, listening, if you have your j- own journey to tell and you'd like to come on and uh, be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com to apply to be a, a guest on the podcast. Um, certainly, if you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you can uh, get a notice notification of this and all the new website and all the new episodes as they come out. And lastly, um, if you ever need any help with uh, patents or trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law, and we're always here to help startups and small businesses. Well, Lee, thank you again for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It was fun to hear your journey and good luck on the next phase of your journey and wish it even better than the last. Thanks. It's been a privilege, Devin.